All right, grab your Bibles this morning. We're going to look at two passages of Scripture. Two passages of Scripture. Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, verses 42 through 44. And we're going to look at Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 13. If you have your Bibles, if you don't have your Bibles, the verses will be up on the screen. But I would encourage you to bring your Bibles. You can underline, mark it, follow along, even on your phone. You can mark like I do on my phone. But I'd like for you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 24, we're going to read verses 42 through 44. This morning we are talking about awaiting. Everyone say awaiting. We're entering into the season of Christmas. As you can tell, the auditorium's been decorated, and it, it, the team did a marvelous job, and I'm so grateful for all the talent that we here, have here at City Church. But we are beginning a series entitled Awaiting, the Real Meaning of Advent. We're going to talk about awaiting the return of Jesus over the next four weeks. Matthew chapter 24, one of the classic passages where Jesus actually speaks of his return. I'm going to read two verses. The Bible says, therefore, everyone say, therefore. Therefore. Now, this is Jesus speaking, remember. Keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had not known at what time of night the thief was coming, he also would have kept watch and would have not let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. And then Titus chapter 2, verse number 11. The Bible says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And here's the key. While we wait for the blessed hope, everyone say the blessed hope, the appearing of of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The blessed hope, the appearing of the glory and the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This morning, we're going to talk to you on this idea. While we are awaiting his return, while we are awaiting his return, we are people of hope. This morning, we're going to pray for family members that are in our church that lost their wife. Uh, Johnny Rivera and Juan is here this morning, lost his mom. Miss Gloria went home to be with the Lord on Wednesday afternoon right about 1.30. And Johnny, we love you. We want you to know we're praying for you today. Johnny's right down here over on your right hand side. Just stretch your hand towards him this morning. We're going to pray for the Rivera family. And as we honor her life uh, this week, and as we have a homegoing service, let's pray for the extended family as well. Father, Lord, we know that there is great sadness and great sorrow. Lord, at the lossing of our spouse. Can't even imagine Lord, what Johnny is experiencing. And God, his heart's desire today, his heart's desire today is to experience the comfort of the peace that only you can give. And God, I ask right now that in this moment he will sense it. And Lord, for for one, I pray that you will touch him with that sense of grace. God, as we remember the life of Gloria today, we thank you, Lord, that she had her hope, she had her faith firmly rooted in you. And God, we will see her on the other side. Father, for those that are in this room today, I pray that you'll give them a spiritual ear to hear. God, that as we are awaiting the return of our Savior, Jesus Christ, I pray that our hearts will be filled with a sense of expectancy, a sense of hope. God, I pray, Lord, for every person that's here that you give them an ear to hear, but you'll also give me a mouth to speak. I ask this, Jesus, in your mighty and powerful name, and everyone said, amen. You may be seated. Amen. We love everyone. You know, we talk about Advent, 
And Advent is something traditionally in a church like ours isn't celebrated. But about, about 10 years ago, I, I was trying to figure out what to do with the Christmas season with, you know, the, the, the Christmas story. Because the Christmas story, if you've been a preacher for a long time, you know, you got Mary and you got Joseph and you got the, the wise men come from the east. And, you know, you got some familiar stories that you hear in song and the kids tell it in their plays and Christmas programs. And they all seem really cute. But as I began to study this whole thing surrounding the birth of Christ, I realized that the early church really never celebrated the birth of Jesus, although they recognized it and honored it. What the early church really reflected back to was the words that Jesus said when he said, I am going to come again. Be ready. And so the theme of the early church, the heartbeat of the early church, the hope of the early church was the return of Jesus. And they were awaiting for his return. Over the centuries, over the generations, that meaning, that significance got lost. And over 1,600 years ago, there were some early church fathers that had the wisdom. They had the wisdom to understand that if they were going to keep this understanding of the return of Christ in front of people, they had to talk about it. And so they took a period of time. They took the day of Christ's birth, or what they thought was Christ's birth, although we know he wasn't actually born on December 25th. But they took that time, and they said, okay, we're going we're gonna to take a time and reflect and repent. We're going to get our hearts right as we await the promise of his coming. And so that's exactly what they did. And so over the years, the, the liturgical churches, the Catholic, and some of the more mainline churches have done a good job of reflecting on this. But in our circles, we haven't done a real good job of it. And so I felt about 10 years ago, we really needed to have this birth into our heart. And, and so we've talked about different aspects of it, but we've never talked completely about the return of Christ and relationship to this period of Advent. And so today I'm going to talk to you about the hope that we have in the return of Jesus Christ. It's practical. It's very, very practical. The reality for you today, the reality for me today is that Christ has come to us. Emmanuel, God is with us. But the fact is, not only has he come to us, he's going to come again for every person who's looking and awaiting his appearing. It also has a very prophetic moment. It's a very prophetic moment. See, the Old Testament Jews were waiting for the Messiah to come. They were waiting. All the prophecies of Isaiah, of Jeremiah, of Malachi, of Zechariah, even of Daniel, spoke of the coming Messiah. But they missed it. So many missed it because they weren't looking and waiting for his appearing. The prophetic scriptures of the New Testament over 300 times refer to the return of Jesus. 300 times. One out of every 25 verses in the New Testament referred directly to Christ coming again. It has a prophetic moment. It speaks to us in this generation. And then it has a personal moment for me. A personal moment that I am going to see my King and my Savior. It is my hope. You see, the world that we live in, oh, I, I, I love the season of Christmas. I, I got home on Friday night with my family, and, and we have this little thing called Alexa. It's an echo put out by Amazon, and it's a little toy that I have in my house, and I get to talk to it, and it tells me the weather and gives me a calendar for the day. I say, Alexa, you know, tell me, what, what's the weather tomorrow? And Alexa will tell me what the weather is tomorrow. And I'll say something, Alexa, you do so much for me. And Alexa doesn't say anything back. But I said, Alexa, I said, turn on classical Christmas music. It was Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, and Alexa popped up the classical Christmas station. And my heart just began to melt in my room. 
I began to think about the time we just had with my son and daughter-in-law and her family. I began to think of, just reflect back over growing up as a kid and how much I love Christmas. I mean, I, I remember as a seven-year-old boy that anticipation. You know, I believed in Santa, but something special happened when my grandparents came, came home. Uh, came over from California. When my grandparents showed up, there was always just a lot more presents around the tree. <laughs> I believed in Santa, though. But I remember one year I was eight years old, and I had wrote on my list to Santa that I wanted a new bike. And there was that anticipation, that anticipation that I was going to get a brand new bike. I remember that feeling of waiting. I couldn't wait to get to that day. And this sense of anticipation, of expectation, is the hope that the Bible says we are to have in the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, we're people of hope. We believe in hope. Some of you moms were hoping you would have enough food to go around for Thanksgiving. Some of you were watching the football game like I was on Thursday afternoon, hoping that the Dallas Cowboys, America's team, would beat the Washington Redskins. Some of you are hoping for a new job in 2016. Some of you are hoping to find your spouse in 2017. And we have all kinds of hope. We have all kinds of sense of, of a preferred future, of an expectation, but we don't have a promise that it's going to become a reality. You see, that's the difference in the way that we use hope and the biblical definition of hope. You see, the Bible defines hope like this. The Bible says that hope in our lives is the sense, the comprehension, the understanding that we have a firm conviction, a firm conviction in the promises of God, a confident expectation, a certainty of what God has said is true. God has said it. I believe it. And that settles it. And that's the conviction that we come to the return of Jesus. Jesus promised it. I believe it. And that settles it for me. But see, there's a lot of distractions. There's a lot of things that can pull us away from this reality that Christ can return at any moment. One of the things is I begin to look at my own life and begin to listen to people around me. There's a lot of unbelief in our culture. There's a lot of people that simply don't believe that Jesus is going to return again. The Apostle Peter and his generation actually had to deal with it in his time. You see, Peter said people that there were scoffers and mockers of the truth following their own desires. And they will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? Before the time of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. Everything's been the same. Nothing's ever changed. Stock market goes up. Stock market goes down. Housing prices go up. Housing prices go down. It's just the same. Uh, I, I heard a person one time talking about going to a third world country. And he said, I've been to third world countries all over the world. And he said it like this. He goes, he said, it, it's, it's the same taxi, just a different driver. And all of us many times have that kind of experience. Life just seems to have ups and downs and keeps going on. And if we're not careful, careful, we can doubt the reality that Christ is going to come again. There have been people who have set, set dates that have allowed scoffers to build ammunition to throw off the reality of this truth. 1844, there were a group of people that said that Jesus was going to come again. Jesus didn't come in 1844. When I was a brand new Christian in the 19, 1980s, there was a man who wrote a book entitled 87 Reasons Why Jesus is Going to Come in 87. Obviously, Jesus didn't come in 87, so in 1988, he had to write another book. 
88 reasons why Jesus was going to come in 1998. In 1992, one of the most pronounced, one of the most profound, there was a large megachurch in Seoul, Korea. Massive church. And the pastor had predicted that May 14th, 1992, Jesus would return again. He convinces people to sell their homes, to sell their treasuries, to sell their investments, to quit their jobs, to camp out together, to wait for that day to come. Obviously, Jesus didn't come May 14th, 1992. When they began to investigate this man, the government got highly concerned because people were selling all their possessions and giving them to the church. And they began to investigate that this man had actually bought bonds and securities that wouldn't mature for another five years. See, Jesus didn't come in 1992. And because of failed predictions of false prophets, people have rejected the reality of the truth. And Peter says, listen, don't let those mockers and those scoffers deter you from this reality. Not only is there unbelief that keeps us from believing in the reality of Christ's return, there's also ignorance. We have a saying in our culture sometimes, ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is bliss. Hosea says, my people will be destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Just because you don't understand what Jesus has said, just because you don't understand what the scriptures say about the return of Christ, doesn't mean that it's not a reality. It's true. The promises of God are yes and amen to them that believe. See, biblical prophecy can be confusing. There's a lot of teachers there's a lot of people that have all kinds of opinions and understandings about when Christ will come and how he's going to come and what's it going to look like and what the nations of the earth are going to do. I got to tell you today, I don't have all that understood. I do know that there are complex scriptures, but my job is to be a good Bible student. In Acts chapter 17, it says, those that were at Thessalonica, those Bereans, were more noble than the other believers because they studied the scriptures to see if they were so. So you have a responsibility to study the scriptures for yourself. Paul said that we are to be people who rightly divide the word of truth. So you have a responsibility to study the Bible. If you read the Bible once a week, I challenge you this coming week into 2017, read the Bible three times a week. If you read the Bible three times a week, I challenge you to read the Bible five times a week. If you read the Bible five times a week, I challenge you to read the Bible twice a day. Let's grow in our capacity and understanding of the word of God. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will last forever. We have a responsibility, a personal responsibility to discipline ourselves to study the scriptures. Carnality. Jesus spoke of this. Jesus said in Luke chapter 21, watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and by the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware. The love of the world, love of the pleasures of the world, a lack of conviction to live for God, just being lazy about spiritual matters and reality, living a carnal life, living for the moment without an eye on the reality of the eternity. I walked into the room the very last moment that Gloria breathed her last breath. Walked into the room. She's gone. She's with the Lord. No more decisions. <laughs> she had made the decision to say yes to the Lord. You see, we will stand one day before God. And sometimes we become lazy in our spiritual reality. And Jesus says, watch out. 
watch out. Don't get lazy about the spiritual relationship that you have with me. And the last one is fear. Jesus said in John chapter 14, in relationship to the return of Jesus, do not let your heart be troubled. Now, I grew up as a child in the church, and when I was a child, there was a lot of teaching on the second coming of Jesus. And most of the teaching had to do with the imminency, the immediate return of Jesus, and me missing it, me not being ready. I remember there was a song, it went something like this. I wish we'd all been ready. Do, 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 do. Guns and war. I just remember that guns and war part. When the guns and war part came, I was hitting the altar. I was afraid that Jesus was going to come back and I wouldn't be ready for his return. And I lived in fear. Every time the second time of Christ was mentioned or talked about, I ran to the altar. I got a little thinking going on in my little 10, 12, 13-year-old mind. You know, if I could go to church on Sunday, I'd be okay Sunday because I got saved every Sunday. Every Sunday, I raised my hand. Every Sunday, I got my life right with Jesus. Sunday, I made it to Monday. Monday, I wasn't too sure. It's getting a little shaky out there at school. Might have used a bad word or two. Get to Wednesday. I had to get back to church on Wednesday so I could get saved again. But then I had a long stretch from Wednesday to Sunday. And I was praying that Jesus wouldn't come in that time. My heart was motivated by fear and not by hope and not by faith because of a wrong understanding of the return of Jesus. It is the blessed hope of the believer. Someone said amen. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled today. Jesus said, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you that I am going to that place to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. Everyone say, come back. And I will take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Jesus is preparing a place for us, for those who are looking and awaiting, awaiting his appearance. See, the promises of God that we have today are hopeful. The return of Jesus is hopeful. It's our blessed hope. We have this promise that he will never leave us nor forsake us. We have this blessed hope that Jesus Christ is going to return again. The writer of Hebrews says it like this. He says, there is a hope, a strong and trustworthy anchor for the soul. It's a trustworthy anchor. The truth, the reality that God has a purpose and a plan for all mankind. That God has a purpose and plan for all human beings, for all of his creation, for all of his people. God has a plan and a purpose for you and I today. So I want to give you some reasons for the blessed hope today. Some reasons for the blessed hope while we are awaiting the return of Jesus. First of all, you got to hear this thing. We will have a great reunion with those who have gone before us. We're going to have a great reunion with those who have gone before us. First Thessalonians chapter 4 says it like this. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. So you will not grieve like people who have no hope. 
For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who died. You see, we're going to have a great reunion on that giddy up morning. When the trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ shall rise first, we which are alive and remaining shall join and meet them in the air. So encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. You see, we're going to live with the Lord forever. He's made a promise today. He's made a promise. On December 18th, we're going to have a, a comfort service. And our comfort service has a little ornament that we're going to decorate our trees with here. And inside of this little ornament, I'm going to ask you to put a picture of a loved one that's gone before. For me, I've got quite a few that have gone before. Quite a few, my mom and my dad, cousins that have gone before, church members. But for me, I have a special place in my heart for my parents. My parents, my mom died at 52, my mom died at 59. The reality for me as a 53-year-old that I'm there, I don't have a promise of tomorrow. They didn't have a promise of tomorrow. As I put their picture in here, we hanging on the tree. We're going to speak words of comfort of this promise. There's going to be a great reunion. The dead in Christ shall arise first. And we which were alive and remain shall meet them in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Comfort, comfort one another with these words. So we have this reality of a great reunion. At the second coming of Jesus, he will dismantle Satan's power and all evil. Revelation chapter 20, the Bible says, As you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming, that day will bring about the destructions of heaven by fire. That day will come. The Bible says that Jesus holding the keys of the abyss, a great chain in his hand, and laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer. See, on that day that Jesus returns, the angels will be released to cast Satan into the abyss, the bottomless pit. The Bible says in Romans chapter 16, verse 20, that the coming of Jesus will soon crush Satan under your feet. See, at the cross, the power of sin was broken. At the return of Jesus, the power of Satan is destroyed forever and ever and ever. Someone said amen. amen. No more sickness, no more sin, no more disease. See, Satan's power will be destroyed the second coming of Jesus, he will deal with Satan once and for all. Every wrong will be righted. All injustices, iniquities, and every ism will be destroyed. See, the promise to you and I today is that Jesus is coming again. When he comes again, he will create a new heaven and a new earth. Second Peter chapter 2, the Bible says, As you look forward to the day of God speeding its coming, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will meet in the heat. But in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward. Everyone say looking forward. We are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. We look forward to this day when Jesus returns and he makes all things new. All things new. New heavens. New earth. 
See, in the very beginning of time, God created man in his image and put him in a garden, a place called Eden that was perfect. But man revolted against God. Man rebelled against God and chose to go their own way. And at that moment, chaos, chaos entered into the world. Destruction entered into the world. See, once a man chose to rebel against God, he sealed his own destiny of death. There was no hope. But see, even in the very beginning, God had a plan of a savior. In Genesis chapter 3, the Bible says that God told the woman that the head of the serpent would be crushed by the feet of your son. In the very beginning of time, God made a plan of redemption. And this Savior, this Savior would come into the world to save all mankind from their sins. That was the first coming of Jesus. The prophets told about it. They proclaimed it. They preached it. But the people missed it. You see, the coming of Jesus, the second time, he will come again. Let me tell you, he will come again with blazing fire and glory. There'll be righteousness in his eyes. He will be looking for those who are awaiting his appearing. And when he comes again, all things will be made new. New heavens, new earth, new bodies, new bodies. The Bible says in the first Thessalonians that we will be changed. Everyone say changed. And the twinkling of an eye will change. Our, Im- our mortal will put on immortality. We'll become just like Jesus. We won't be Jesus, but we will have the same glorified body. New heavens, new earth. The chaos and destruction that we've reaped upon the earth that we live in. The Bible says it will melt with the fervent heat. And God will create all things new. He will give us our reward for finishing in him. He will give us our reward for finishing in him. 2 Timothy chapter 4, a familiar verse. Paul the Apostle, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me. Now the prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Oh, eagerly look forward to his appearing. This concept of judgment and rewards, we, we talk a lot about grace, and we are saved by grace. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. It's not our righteousness that made us right with God. It's his righteousness. I understand that today. I understand that grace is what saves us. But we will be judged by the works that we've done in this life. Paul the apostle to the church of Corinthians says, We will all appear before the judgment seat. See, in our concept, judgment has to do with punishment. But this judgment that Paul is talking about, in the Greek, the word is bima. Everyone say bima. And the understanding is that when an athlete would perform or or when an athlete would finish the race and they would go up to the podium, they were judged by those who were looking at them and they got a reward. They got a reward for finishing the race. They weren't whipped for how they did. They were rewarded for finishing. And the Bible says that we will be judged in this life for the things that we do. There's a sober moment to this reality. 
There's a sober moment to this. It ought to cause us to look at our lives. Are we living our lives on purpose? Are we living the life, the mission for which Christ created it? See, our lives are not our own, but we've been bought with the price, the precious blood of Jesus. You'll receive a reward for finishing the race. Christ speaks to us today. Look, I'm coming. My reward is with me. And I will give to each person according to what they've done. I will give it to you fairly. He's fair. I will give it to you individually. You're not going to be rewarded for what your parents did, or your mother did, or your grandfather, or your pastor. You'll be rewarded individually for what you did. And then he'll reward you according to what you what you actually receive what you actually des- not what you think you deserve but what you do deserve he's thorough in his judgment he's perfect in all of his ways when we stand before Christ there is a reward the victor's crown the crown of righteousness and finally he will rule and reign as king of kings forever and ever In Revelation chapter 19, the writer John says, I saw heaven standing open, and before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. And on his robe and on his thigh he has the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He has the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords. His name is Jesus. There is no rival. There is no other name under heaven by which men may be saved. See, it's at the name of Jesus. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We proclaim Jesus. We declare Jesus. He is our King. He is our Lord. And we are awaiting His soon coming return. It is the blessed hope of the believer. Oh, there is only one King and His name is Jesus. There's only one God, and his name is Jesus. There is only one Lord, and his name is Jesus. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And let me tell you today, when the heavens open, he will be on that white horse. Come on, he will be riding on that white horse, and there will be a sword. You can read it for yourself in Revelation 19. He'll have the sword, which is the word of God. And he'll be meeting out justice and judgment on all the nations who rebelled against him. Let me tell you, when Jesus comes again, he'll make all wrongs right. He'll destroy the evil and the darkness and the destruction that's plagued humanity. Our hope today, our hope today is in this ruling king. So what do we do? What do we do while we are awaiting? First, we are to watch. Everyone say watch. Some of you have been looking at your watch. We're going to get out of here. Watch and pray. Jesus said, don't let your hearts be dulled by the worries of this life. Don't be dulled by the little love trinkets, the attractions that the world would lay before you. Keep alert at all times. And pray that you may be strong enough to escape the coming horrors and stand before the Son of God. The sad reality that there'll be many who, like in Noah's day, heard the word. Noah stood as a preacher of righteousness for 120 years and said, God is coming to visit us. And the people didn't listen. I'm speaking a prophetic word to someone in this word. The Lord is coming again, but he's only coming for those who are looking and awaiting 
is appearing. So we watch and pray. We are to prepare our hearts and our lives. First John chapter 3, John says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. When Christ appears, we shall be like him. Jesus conquered death. Jesus conquered hell. Jesus conquered the grave. He has a new body, a resurrected body. And when Christ comes again, we'll have a new body. A new, we'll be the same person, but with a new body, a new reality, a new life. We are to prepare. Listen to what he says here. For when Christ comes and appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. See, when we have the expectation that Christ is going to come, it helps us decide not only what we're not going to do, but what we're going to do. We're going to live lives that please him, that serve his purposes in our generation. And we are to proclaim this blessed hope to others. We pray, we prepare our lives, and we proclaim this blessed hope to others. Jesus said, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. We are to preach this blessed hope. We're to preach this blessed hope to all peoples. It's the hope of the nations. It's the hope of the world. It's the hope of our generation. It's the hope for every person in Sanford. It's the hope to every person in Seminole County. It's the hope to every person in Central Florida. Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. Oh, we will see him just as he is. You see, the first time that Jesus came, when he was born as a baby, he brought with him the gospel of grace. Emmanuel, God with us. But when Jesus comes again, he's coming in all of his glory, all of his beauty, and all of his splendor. You see, when Jesus came the first time, he came as a little baby. When Jesus comes again, he's coming as a conquering king. When Jesus came the first time, he came. He came to give his life. When Jesus comes again, he's the author and the finisher of all life. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning of the end. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I want you to bow your heads. In this season that we are awaiting the return of Jesus, I challenge you today to live as a person of hope. Hope in his coming. Hope that he's coming for those who are looking and awaiting his appearing. We have this hope, this sure word a prophecy. We have this confidence that the words of God are true. They're an anchor for our soul today. You're here today and your life isn't right with Jesus. You are not ready. You know in this moment. Come on, you know in this moment. Oh, I've heard this before, preacher. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. You don't know. You don't know your last breath. You don't know your last moment. You don't know when the trumpet will sound. None of us do. And the Holy Spirit is speaking to you today. 
and you know your life isn't right with God, I want to challenge you, before you leave this place, you can have hope that Christ is coming back for you. And you're here today, and you know your life isn't right with him. When I count to three, I'm going to have you raise your hand, and we're going to say a prayer in just a moment. And I believe when you say that prayer, you can get your life right with the Lord today. But you're here today, and your hope isn't in the return of Christ. You know, you're not, you know your life isn't right with God. I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Come on, in this room right now. In this room, all across this room. You can put your hands down today. God's speaking to you today. God's speaking to you today. I want everyone to repeat this prayer. Lord Jesus, as we gather here today, I ask you to awaken my heart to the reality that you are coming again. Forgive me today for not living for you, for not serving you. Lord Jesus, I believe today that you died on the cross and your grace is available for me. That when you rose from the dead, you paid the price for my sin. Come into my heart today. Give me a fresh start. Give me a new beginning. I want to have a heart and eyes that are waiting for you. Jesus, I ask this in your name. Amen.